Welcome everyone to Love and Pod, the weekly Trigon Stampede podcast. I am your host, Lady Ziana Dolfang, and with me as always is my co-host, Kai, the non-binary typhoon. Say hello, Kai. Hey, what's up? I'm alive! I'm non-binary and I'm alive! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so things are clearly gearing up towards the finale. Before we jump into this episode, uh, I want to talk a little inside baseball with people about the the production of this podcast. So last week, I don't know how obvious it was to the people listening, but on our end, the recording was a shit show. <laughs> we, yeah. We yeah. had some problems. One, I was tired as all fuck, and I just kept fucking up everything I was trying to say. I would, like, start a sentence and just stumble over myself and lose track of my thoughts, and I'd have to start over. Kai wasn't doing much better, and it was this really rambly, disjointed mess of a podcast, and the way we make this is I record my audio, they record theirs, they send me theirs, I clean it up, I make a bunch of cuts, you know, mostly so we're not overlapping each other. One person isn't way louder than the other. And I trim out repetitive, needless parts, usually only cutting out a few minutes of an actual episode. Yeah, no, I chunked out like over 10 minutes last time because it was just such a fucking mess. I, I partially blame Holy Week for that <laughs> from my on my end. And then, and then... Kai's audio just stops recording near the end of the podcast, so I had to construct an ending that we that didn't even happen <laughs> for the podcast. Because I was just like, okay, well, this needs an ending. Um, we were really close. We were almost there anyhow. I can fix this. I can make this work. That was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> like, like it took me so long to edit that podcast, just going through the audio tracks and just... Because a lot of it's like, okay, like, you know, there's a lot of gap here in our audio. Like, oh, I'll close this and I'll move this over. And like, uh, I, I said, like, you know, and um a little too many times. So let me chop most of those out and the same thing for Kai. But this one was just like, I was just taking out whole chunks of it. Just rambling tangents that went nowhere or that stopped halfway in to start over again. Yeah, y'all be surprised, and I do this all the time in regular conversation too, how often I will figure out what I'm going to say as I'm saying it. And so there's a lot of times while recording a podcast or talking about like analysis of anything where I have a thought I'm trying to get across and I end up saying it three or four different ways before I finally go, yes, that's how I want to say it. Yeah, it's okay, though, (laughs) because whenever you go back to listen to the podcast, you're like, ah, yes, the smart version of me that didn't say, like, all these other variants of it. (laughs) All that shit's on the cutting room floor. You will never know how incompetent we actually are. At least we're competent competent enough to know uh, what needs to get cut. True. A lot of people will just... (laughs) single track audio that shit whatever fuck ups are there are there and they will just upload it as is and i'm like you're a monster i am creating (laughs) entertainment and i want to make sure it's 
actually entertaining. Yeah. If there's a lot of, uh, like, you know, like, like, you know, with the thing, the, uh, you know, now that's, that is a fucking nightmare to listen to. <laughs> and we all appreciate, or at least I appreciate, um, you going in and cutting out a lot of that, like what I just did right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's great too, because like, I know you've listened to a few episodes of the podcast and you, you, you know, things are cut. You know, I cut things. Cause I tell you, I cut them. You have no clue what's cut. You were there. You were saying yeah. these words, and you have no clue what I cut out of your audio. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, after the whole situation of, like, I had one joke that I wanted to end the thing off of last time, and I said it, and then my audacity just closed, and I had a panic about, like, did it recover it? Did it save it? And thankfully it did. And then, you know, I wanted to see, okay, I wonder, like, how that ended up turning out in the final product. And I went back and listened to it. And I was like, oh, okay, so it got got that joke and got uh, her joke at the very end as well. Okay, cool. And then when we were gotten the call and started talking about recording for this podcast, she told me, oh, yeah, I kind of manufactured the ending there. And I was like, memories are fake. All of your memories are a lie. Never believe them. <laughs> Nothing is real. <laughs> In the Berenstein universe, I actually did make that joke. That's why Kai remembers it. I'm over here Mendeleying my own co-host. It's, it's very easy to do, unfortunately for me. Okay, so we're on the third to last episode of this podcast. Let's just go ahead and jump into the description because I have things to say. In fact, <laughs> I have one thing... That I'm going to lose my shit over. And Kai, while I'm doing this description, you get to try and like figure out and guess what my one big thing that I lost my shit over is. You guys can play at home too. I had one big thing I lost my shit over too, but I don't know if it's the same one, but I guess we'll find out. (laughs) Roberto talked too much before keeling over. (laughs) Maybe. Okay. He just, he just freaking called me out immediately. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> I had this whole oh. bit. You were gonna go over the summary, and I'm gonna go like you get to that part, and I had this whole bit. I was gonna go, uh, ding dong, the bastard's dead. Which bastard, Roberto, sir? Ding dong, the old bastard is dead. <laughs> Uh, and then I ruined it for you. <laughs> That's okay. I still got to do my song just now, so we're good. <laughs> Summary, episode 10. I forgot to look up the title for it, so you don't get to hear it in this episode because I don't fucking remember it. The episode opens with Wolfwood and Vash heading towards July, trekking through the desert, back with Meryl and Roberto. Uh, they have a bit of more dialogue with Zazie. Before the scientist that had been accompanying Knives before walks up, introduces himself, and explains that they have been collecting these dying plants for a massive last run to create a massive amount of energy. What for? We don't know that yet. The scientist also explains that he was the one behind all of the mutated super soldiers that they had been fighting recently, and that... They weren't meant to be weapons, but they were his attempts at trying to save humanity, make them more resilient, make them more like knives, so that way they could exist on this planet without needing the plants. Back in the city of July, a cop spots Vash and Wolfwood. 
One of the cops is the dickhead from the first episode. He actually barely plays a role in this because there's another cop whose family was from Genora Rock and he personally blames Vash and shoots him in the stomach. Then Vash just saunters off and the cops let him and Wolfwood walks behind him and they just let them leave. While Vash is uh, while Vash is patching up his wounds, he takes his shirt off. Wolfwood sees that he's covered in scars, and that this must be the price that he pays for not killing and to try to save everyone is the wear and tear that happens to his body. Back inside of Knives' hideout, the scientist is talking about how all of his subjects up until now have been failures. They still need food. They still need water. They still need the resources that plants provide. So he has created somewhat of human-plant hybrids. Neither human nor plant. Humans that have the resiliency and the benefits of plants. Then we also see floating in a tube the little girl that had also been with knives. Her name is Elendira. She wakes up and immediately starts attacking Roberto and Meryl. Wolfwood comes in and saves them, helping them escape. Wolfwood has a fight with Elendira. He cuts her. She cries. Their fight is now over. She sucks and she's useless. We cut to the escape elevator where Meryl finds out that, oh no, Roberto has been impaled in the stomach. And he says some bullshit. I don't know. Don't care. Hands his derringer over to Meryl to protect herself with calls her by her name, and then dies. Hooray! <laughs> I do appreciate what they were going for with that, but I also just did not like Roberto, but, you know, we'll get there when we get to talking about it more. Look, okay, it's really hard to grieve for Ed Gein is all I'm saying. I don't give a shit. <laughs> okay, fine, he's not Ed Gein bad, obviously, but he's still a prick. It's like telling me to mourn my racist grandpa. I'm like, nah, he was a racist. <laughs> Sorry, mom. I can't. I can't soothe your tears. Uh, I know I should care uh, right now. True but story I really that actually happened. Don't. And also, I'm a little happy. But again, we'll get there. We'll get more in detail about our thoughts on that when we get to <laughs> Roberto kills over party popper. I actually Oops, was this ill timed. I actually yelled like, "Yeah, let's go!" Let's motherfucking go. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, back to the summary. Elsewhere in the facility, Wolfoid and Vash part ways. Vash heads to confront Knives. Wolfoid goes to confront the scientist, who he speaks to about his contract being complete. He got Vash to Knives, completely alive. Makes me wonder why they were sending giant, you know, death robot people against him, but whatever. And Wolfwood is allowed to leave. Then we get a flashback of the first time Knives met the scientist. Uh, he gives him the opportunity to atone for his sins, for what he did to plants. He is incredibly remorseful and aligns himself with Knives. Flash forward, Vash is in front of Knives, and Knives drops him down a hole. End of episode. Yep, Vash is getting baptized. Yep. Like, we, we, all, we all know that's what that is, right? Like, that's absolutely, you're going to be reborn. Drops him in a liquid that's very, like, I'm going to assume is water. That's baptism allegory, right? Like You know, honestly, I didn't even think about <laughs> him 
saying being reborn. So, yeah, especially considering he has an entire religion built around him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all of the Christian allegory that's surrounding and symbolism and all of that that has surrounded Trigun from its inception. It's like, yeah, that's that's a baptism thing. That's absolutely baptizing Vash. Just had to get that out there. It was like, let's just let's just lay that on the table and get that out there. Because <laughs> something to always keep in mind is that though Japan kind of uses Christian symbolism the same way America tends to use Japanese and other Asian symbol, every culture symbolism, to the Japanese, Christianity doesn't really mean a whole lot. Hideaki Anno, the creator of Ava, has literally gone on record saying, he picked the Christian symbolism because it looked cool. It is the equivalent of, like, a dude bro getting a yin-yang tattoo. Right. It's the thing of, like, despite a lot of efforts from the universe, Christianity never, like... It has a very complicated and messy history in Japanese culture, and that's why it's seen as just... It's a lot of stuff that they recognize kind of like almost peripherally, if that makes sense of like, oh, yeah, I know that cross. That's that Christian thing. They don't have the same like, what's the wording for it for the uh, when a whole culture just kind of knows something like it's within the cultural zeitgeist or something like that. I don't know. Of uh, even if you weren't raised Christian in America, you know a lot of Christian stuff because it's like in your face everywhere. Right. Yeah. In Japan, they have their own religious beliefs, and to them, for for the most part, there are definitely Japanese Christians. Not to say that there aren't, but the thing I was gonna say is with Trigon, the Christian symbolism actually does matter. Yeah. Well. I would say in the '90s series it matters, and in this series it matters. Honestly, in the manga, I think it is just meant to be cool because the Eye of Michael is just an assassin group that is Christian-themed. I do get that feeling from it. That is why, also, I like to... I get excited and point out because there are a lot of anime that use Christian symbolism, but Trigun is sort of on that, like, more unique area of the Christian symbolism actually feels like it's connected to the theology of Christianity more in the Trigun anime. The idea of dropping Vash and being like, oh yeah, you're going to be reborn. (laughs) Into the baptism you go. Stampede makes so many Christian references. Literally like everything with the Eye of Michael, the whole stuff with faith and sacrifice. Yeah. And it feels like it's on a much deeper understanding of where that Christian ideology and theology and all that comes from than previous iterations of Trigun and what other anime have done too. And I get excited about that because I'm like, hey, wait, I'm not usually good at picking out symbolism and stuff. And so this is something that I know, like Christianity, Catholicism especially, is something that I know very intimately. So I get excited that like, hey, I know that. I recognize that. I know why they chose that specifically. Uh, Kai, do you know what thing I'm going to bitch about? Mon... Uh, I can never say his name right! The Gale? The fact that they, like, name-dropped him, and I don't remember them name-dropping him before, and that we even talked about that. Uh, yeah, no, Mon of the Gale does get name-dropped, and it is 100% confirmed that that is, in fact, Mon of the Gale. Nope, actually, now, (laughs) I have made sure that my complaints of the Phantom Trigon don't really impact my feelings towards Stampede as a whole. 
this is the first time where I feel Stampede has done something so contradictory to the source material that I am now upset. Like, this adaptation is lesser for what they have done. And my biggest fucking problem here is Ellen Dira. I am so fucking mad about this interpretation of this character. Kai, do you remember who Ellen Dira is? So, names are always difficult for me, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's the girl or the plant in the manga that the people on the ship, that, that was around and was born before Vash and Knives, and that the people on the ship experimented on and messed with. And that absolutely traumatized Vash and Knives when they found that. Okay, see, here's the fun thing. That's who I thought this was. When they first introduced her, I'm like, oh, is this going to like be like their version of... I think her name is Tessa in the manga. Yeah, that's and right. That's right. I was that's just like, Tessa. is this going to be like their version of her? Like, instead of like dying, she survived. Or like, she's like something that was born later. And she's now a disciple of Knives. I'm, like, running through my head of, like, what this character is. No, no. Ellen Dira in the manga is Ellen Dira the Crimson Nail, the strongest and unknown member of the gung-ho guns, the transgender woman who uh... is a super badass and completely wrecks Levio's shit. I am so fucking mad they robbed me of my trans rep. Yeah. And... I'm also really fucking annoyed that they took a character who was a human, a regular fucking human with superhuman abilities, and they had to, like, make her a plant. No! Why did you make her a plant? Why? Why is she some sort of weird science experiment? Why can't she just be a fucking super Chad? Why did you take her trans identity? Like, what the fuck? Why? Yeah! I'm so annoyed. This character right. is Ellen Dira in name only because, like, she has the nails, which honestly, I think it's really stupid that she just creates giant fucking carpentry nails and, t like, magnetos them across the fucking room. That beside the point of that just being kind of dumb when you look at how, like, Knives' power works, where it's these very kind of organic-looking blades and metal and stuff. But with her, it's just, no, these giant metal fucking nails that she manifests. And, like, Ellen Dira was a human, a trans woman, who carried around a suitcase that was, like, a giant nail launcher... And she was super fast and super strong. And she had, like, this fucking suit on that restrained her powers that she would, like, unlatch. And it, like, just quadrupled her fucking speed and strength. Like, she was an unstoppable fucking beast. And she didn't have a healing factor like Levio. And she still beat his ass. Yeah. It sounds like then that it's not so much that this new character exists, more in the fact of, like, this is how they're replacing another character that didn't really need to be replaced. Like, and the worst part is, they're not just replacing her, she is still Ellen Dira, which means we should, by all rights next season, get Millie. Like, Roberto was, like, no, the rough yeah. old mentor fucking senpai whatever the fuck for this season, 
who is going to kind of harden Meryl a bit. And then she's going to meet the more lighthearted, fun, soft Millie, who's going to, like, help her strike a balance in her life. Yeah, I know that was something we had suggested. Clearly that's of, the direction. Like, that was something we had brought up in the uh, podcast in previous episodes. Of, that's something we wanted to see them do with Roberto. Not just, like, beyond the kind of exaggerating and the sort of way we meme how much we hate him and how I, like, even at one point gave an episode. Yes, exaggerating. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we really dislike him, but also we genuinely did think it would be better for the story, is what I'm trying to get at, if he, if that was the role that he played, that he was, like, what you're describing, and then they brought Millie, and then we would forgive them for not having Millie in the first season, if that's what they were doing with it. Mm -hmm. Man, and I still, now I do, I do genuinely feel like, I was like, hey, wait a minute, that, that's setting that up. Are we actually going to get that? That would be awesome. I called that... <laughs> didn't I call that shit in, like, episode one? Yeah, I, I don't... That, like, oh, uh, yeah, he's a gruff asshole. They're probably going to kill him off at the end of this season, and next season we'll get Millie. Yeah, I think it was you who brought it up. I, I want to tell you right now, the, uh, the Stampede Twitter account has already hinted at her getting a new partner. Oh my god, please! Please, I'm on my knees! I am begging, please! I, I will pray a divine mercy uh, chaplet for this to happen. Please, I'm begging. Give me Millie. Yeah, going back to what I was saying before, Roberto was clearly like a replacement. He's a completely different character. This character is Elendira. It's not like a completely different character who has nail powers. It is supposed to be this series version of this character, which means... That unlike Millie, where there's a very strong likelihood we're going to get her next season, this time, like, there is not going to be a more accurate Elendira. Like, the next time we see her, there's probably going to be a time jump, she's probably going to be aged up, and she's probably going to look a lot more like her character, but she isn't going to act like her, she isn't going to have her backstory, well, technically... Elendira didn't really have much of a backstory, but she isn't going to have the properties of Elendira. She will probably just be a weird plant chick who is in Elendira cosplay and has nail gun powers. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. Like I'm never going to get like my version because yeah. like this type of shit is what I was really scared no, about with Levio, and the way this series has handled Levio. Ex exceeded my expectations. Mm -hmm. Like, I put a lot of emphasis on Levio before expressing my fears because I knew Levio was in the series. I had no clue this little girl was Elendira. So if I knew Elendira was going to show up, I would have been expressing these concerns because Levio is my favorite character from the manga. Elendira is my favorite villain. She is delightful. I love her so much. And she was legitimately really good trans rep because she was a deadly villain. She was a respectable villain and she was actually respected by other people as being a woman. Like people would acknowledge that she is trans, but that she is a woman. Like there was like one character who went, oh, okay. Like she used to be a guy. Gotcha. Gotcha. And... From that point on, she's a she. And that was really fucking progressive for the time. Yeah. Yeah, and her being trans was not a connection to her villainy. It was just, this is a villain who happens to Yeah, that to was another thing. Like, thing. like they didn't say, like, mm -hmm. oh, like, her tragic backstory of 
transgender abuse or whatever, or like the mental illness of being trans made her a supervillain. No, she was just a badass super fucking outlaw in this world of badass supervillain outlaws. And she just happens to be trans, and the strongest of this team just happens to be trans. It's definitely, it definitely leaves, like, uh, a bad taste in their mouth, and it feels, feels bad when you have, like, a character or just anything that you feel is, like, a great representation, and then just seeing it stripped away from you like that, that, that doesn't feel good. Nope, not at all. I was super pissed. I was so fucking annoyed it kind of brought down the rest of the episode for me. So I don't know how I'm going to even fucking approach scoring this because now that I know what they did to one of my favorite goddamn characters in Trigun, because like, like, I'm not just saying like, oh, Ellen Deere is my favorite character because I'm trans. No, like Ellen Deere was one of my favorite characters long before I ever knew that about myself. Back when I first read the manga, I thought she was the coolest fucking thing ever. Yeah, she was just a oh. badass villain. You yeah. Know? She had style, she had flair, she had a fucking nail gun inside of a suitcase and just fucked up this regenerating super gunman, and it was awesome. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. <sighs> That's rough. I don't care for that. I didn't I didn't realize that before, because, I, I, like I said, names just completely escape me a lot of the time, especially stuff that was, like, from the manga, because the manga was something I, like, read once about two-ish years ago, mm-hmm. three years ago. So there's things from there that I'm like, I remember broad concepts and stuff, but not a whole lot of details. Like the fact that I thought for a second that like this was supposed to be Tessa. Yeah. Know? Like that's the thing. Like I thought it was her too. Like I was just like, oh cool, they're like gonna take this character who was basically a fridged girlfriend. This female character that was fridged for the development of our male lead and antagonist. Mm -hmm. So, like, I had this thought of, like, oh, they're, like, trying to do something better with her and, like, make her, like, more of a character and, like, reinvent her. Okay, that's really cool. And then I find out she's Elendira. And I'm like, this is literally not Elendira at all. Other than her name and the fact that she uses nails to fight with and she uses them in a completely different way she uses nail gun magic where like fucking elendira the actual elendira had a fucking crossbow built into a suitcase that launched eight foot nails and it does feel like a bit targeted like that the character that they completely changed into something totally different was the one that was originally a trans character like that does and that was one of the things they took out of the character that that feels a bit targeted of like okay let's take this one yeah no because like why not do that to legato like legato would have made sense for that oh it also would have like made sense because legato in the uh original hat or even here he still does it seems has an very unhealthy extreme obsession with knives and so if if they did that with legato where he was like this half plant thing that they created that would like add to that you know and so that would make sense yeah they could have literally introduced legato as this little pale faced boy with blue hair who was like the first hybrid or whatever and you still could have had like his obsession with knives and his loyalty to him 
and you could have had all of his crazy powers intact without having his really fucked up dark as shit backstory from the manga. Right. So yeah, no, it would have made more sense. This would have made more sense to be Legato. Yeah, because... Mm. Yeah. Instead, they just take the trans yeah. woman, really the only out-and-out queer rep of this show, and make her this mutant-human-plant hybrid that was assigned female at birth. Yeah, I don't like that. Oh, man. Because it's not even like she has, like, a male body and she's going to call herself a female either. And, like, I could see them try to, like, squeak around, like, well, she's not really transgender because she's actually, like, a plant. Whatever. Kind of bullshit. Like, but they didn't even go that route. No, like, when they see her in the tube, they note she is a little girl. Yeah. They make a point to point it out. Yeah, it just does not look good. Does not look good. She also kind of, like annoyed me a bit uh oh yeah no i fucking dislike the shit out of this character even, even without the whole ellen Deere thing she is a really annoying archetype that i don't like where it's the smug super superior yeah. looks down on everyone character but then like they get one little ouchie and they're like it hurts ah. i'm like i fucking hate that archetype it's so lame. I like that character in one instance, that archetype, right? There's one instance where I can think of where I like that archetype. Did we have to take a shot for Monkey Kid? No, no. It is it is Captain Hammer from Dr. Horrible Sing Along Blog. Damn it. Okay, yeah, you win. You win. <laughs> he's, okay. he's great there. But that's because it's a joke. They're not playing it seriously. It's Yeah, like the whole thing is building up to that joke. You're not supposed to take it seriously. We're like... She gets a tiny little boo-boo and she's like, their big epic fight with Ellen Dira is now just, she gets like grazed by a bullet and she's throwing a hissy fish. She's like, I hate you, Punisher. I'm like, shoot her in the head. Shoot her in the head. Shoot her in the motherfucking head. I would have liked them doing that if there was like a change in her, like if it showed like a change of her perspective and opinions after it happened, you know, because beforehand she was already like, I'm superior and I hate humans and I hate Punisher and blah, 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 blah. And then she gets hit with it and she's like, I'm superior. I hate humans. You guys are awful. And I hate Punisher. And it's like, it didn't really change anything. No, no, there's, there's, there's nothing that that changes. It's not done for a joke. It's just, oh, she's a super fucking superiority complex having little bitch and she gets one little boo-boo and she cries and it's not played as a joke and it's not played for like any kind of character exploration. It's just, that's her character. And I've seen that done so many times and I've always hated it because Captain Hammer was like one of the few times where it's like, oh, like they played it as a joke and he's such a a swaggering dickhead throughout the entire thing. He's and the whole thing with Captain Hammer is he does it like nothing's ever hurt him. So when he actually gets hit by something hard enough to hurt him, he freaks out because he doesn't know how to deal with pain. Yeah. She got grazed by a bullet. And it's kind of hard to believe that that hadn't happened before. I think it's like kind of implied that Wolfwood had hurt her before because... Even before that had happened, Wolfwood shows up and she's like, Punisher, I hate you specifically the most. And uh, 
I will, there was also like another thing that Wolf Witch comes up and they have this moment of kind of mocking the we're the same you and I like trope. And I would have, again, this is something I would have liked that if they weren't playing that trope seriously three minutes before. Like if it was just having a like that, I would have chuckled at that and I would have enjoyed it. If it was on its own and we didn't just see characters pulling the, we're the same, we're not so different, you guys, humans are awful, and then Wolfwood proceeds to mock that, but it just didn't feel earned. Like, it didn't feel like Wolfwood was mocking it, it felt like the writers were doing a meta nudge nudge tee hee, which didn't feel earned because they just did that trope. Yeah. Moving away from the I'm super fucking pissed off about how they treated Elendira tangent. And I say tangent as if it hasn't just been like 20 fucking minutes of this episode so far. Okay. Just want to talk about the actual structure of this episode. First off, we start off with our heroes already in the desert walking to the July. I don't know about you, but it was a little jarring to me. Because it's just like, yeah, obviously they would need to go to July. So, like, I guess that information is conveyed from last week. But, like, when the episode starts off and they're in the middle of the desert, I'm just like, where the fuck are they going? There were so many moments in this episode where I was like, wait, where am I? I am confusion. Yeah, (laughs) I I don't fucking blame you. Because, like, this show is really bad at setting up geography. And... It isn't until, like, I'm hearing the radio broadcast, and I'm like, oh, oh, right, July. They're going to July, I guess. And then they show July in the horizon. It's like, okay. Because, like, I was was legitimately fucking confused. Then we don't even see them sneak into July. They're just there. We just see them already in July sneaking around. It felt very disjointed, and it felt like there was more in this episode, and they had to cut a lot of stuff for time, and then they didn't think about how cutting that stuff affected everything around it, if that makes sense. Like, it feels like transitions were missing. Speaking of transitions missing, and honestly, just entire chunks of the fucking script missing, when they get caught by the cops, and you're like, oh, fuck, it's the cop from episode one. I wonder how they're going to deal with this. And literally, it's just, I've caught you, Vash Stampede, and then one of the guys fucking shoots Vash because his parents were in Genora Rock. Which is really funny considering his commanding officer almost fucking destroyed Janora Rock in his first episode. I was so annoyed at that. And he's like, ah, oh, my, my family was there, blah, blah, blah. I was you like, I, this, this is not earned. It's not. I feel like, I feel like I get what they were trying to go for. I think they were trying to put emphasis on Vash cares a lot, even if, you know, he doesn't have a personal connection to this random guy. He cares a lot that this random guy feels hurt by something he did. See, honestly, know? okay, honestly, no, no. I think Vash just has a guilt complex, and he holds himself personally responsible for every single thing Knives does. So even though Vash wasn't actually the one that harmed this guy's family, he will take the fucking fall for it. And honestly, it's something that I don't like about this Vash. The original Vash had depth to him he had made mistakes he had guilt that he carried and 
even if it was because knives pushed him or whatever, Vash still did things, very specifically destroying the city of July. And in the manga, he actually killed all the people in that city. So that is a huge burden that weighs on mm. Vash Stampede. Here, his big guilty thing is he apparently unknowingly gave Knives the codes to get into the computer, which crash landed everyone on no man's land. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the I'm gonna go off on my like pacifist why I loved the original Trigun anime right, right again here. You know, I, I bring it up every time I bring it up, but it has to do with how the philosophy of pacifism is treated and it's the idea of it's not stupid naive or immature to have that philosophy even with its own it has its own flaws and we can recognize that but those flaws are not born of pure immaturity and naivety they're just they're separate you know from that and this feels like it's pushing the vash doesn't want to hurt anybody because he blames himself for things he didn't do. Like, he doesn't actually have blood on his hands here, as far as I can tell. Not that I can think of. I haven't seen this Vash pulley freaking trigger on somebody, you know, himself. And yet he's blaming him for those things. Yeah, he doesn't even have that scene where he accidentally shoots a member of the Bad Lads gang and freaks the fuck out trying to save their life. You don't even get a scene like that. This Vash is so sad. He is the saddest version of Vash while doing the least amount of bad. So what it is, is it's doing the thing of simplifying where the idea of pacifism comes from and where Vash's character was about why he cared about other people and all that. And they're really trying to push the, because he feels guilty for every single life loss, as opposed to before, it was just every life is precious and I want to try to save them all. Which comes back to the idea of one of those things is more naive than others, I feel. I always felt like the original anime, right, Trigun 98, um, Vash, he had a mostly healthy understanding of how much involvement he had in each situation and how much he was actually able to do. You know, he definitely... Uh, felt guilt for July, despite it being pushed by knives. But it was still, yeah, it was his arm that did that. So it was understandable. And a lot of the times when he would get upset about others getting hurt, it wasn't, oh my gosh, I have to save them because if I don't, I'm at fault. It was, I have to save them because they deserve to be saved because everyone deserves to be saved. And here, it really feels like I have to save them because if I don't, that's more guilt on my conscience. Which is just not what I loved Vash for. Yeah, I just, this version of Vash, and I'm really curious to see, like, maybe they'll do something with it. But honestly, at this point, I just don't feel like they're going to. Because they've had plenty of opportunities. And even when we had an episode and a half dedicated to Vash flashback... It was just basically what he did when he first landed on No Man's Land. It didn't really do a lot to inform his character or show some sort of growth moment. Just the fact that he holds himself responsible for Knives' actions, which is not what a pacifist does. A pacifist does not blame themselves for the actions exactly. of another it's, it's person. It's a lot more self-centered than what actual, like, 
pacifism should be. You know, it's about Vash and his guilty conscience instead of about every everyone deserves life regardless if I know them personally or not. You know. Vash also carries a lot of guilt because he knows his presence in certain towns, like the way he gets involved in conflicts, causes a lot of destruction. And though he's trying to do good, he does end up harming the people around him through property damage. Yeah. This Vash doesn't really seem to, like, have that same problem. Because, I mean, we really haven't seen him in enough towns. We saw him in Janora Rock, and that was really about it. And he was already wanted for... What? The robbery of dying plants? And the robberies were all done by knives. So it wasn't even his actions again. Yeah, it was him getting scapegoated or falsely accused or blamed, you know? Yeah. And yet, for some reason, he acts like he deserves that blame. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the self-centered feeling. I'm starting to get the sense that he, him and knives are like two sides of the same coin, in this version, in the sense that they both have the savior complex of Knives wants to be the savior of all plants, and Vash wants to be the savior of the humans, and when he can't do that, he feels like he failed and is a, you know, awful person, and that's where the guilty conscience is coming from. Again, it comes back to, as opposed to everyone deserves life and everyone's on equal ground in that regard, it's still, it, I don't think this is what the writers are doing, and that's part of why I dislike it. But it's starting to come across as Vash having a savior complex and superiority. It's like, yeah. which is the very thing we dislike Knives for and Elendira and all these other characters for having superiority complexes. But we're supposed to root for Vash. Well, because Vash you know? is a sad boy about his. Vash, yeah. Vash puts the <laughs> entire weight part. of the world on his shoulders. And it's just like, Vash does good wherever Vash is. Or tries to do good wherever Vash is. This version of Vash, it's like, it's like if he had found out like his brother robbed the liquor store, and then he's sad that the liquor store got robbed, and just starts like flogging himself because he wasn't there to stop the liquor store robbery. <laughs> if I had just been there, oh, they he never would have gotten away with those thirty-two bottles of Jim Bean. <laughs> I'm just imagining there's a report of knives doing something and it's un- it's understood and everyone knows. A oh, million knives is uh, uh, on the um, is wanted for this crime and then Vash shows up and is like, okay, you can arrest me. It's like, oh no, but you're you're Vash the Stampede. Like we don't need you. We need millions knives. No, I'm just as bad because I didn't stop him. You were halfway across the world, but I didn't stop him. And I jaywalked on the way here. I deserve to be <laughs> locked up. I'm a monster. Which Put is like, me in the cell with the there's... pedophiles and the serial killer who wears women's skin as their clothes. Oh my god. There's definitely, but which is like sad because there is something to the point of, um, if you see something bad happening in front of you and if you don't do anything to help, then you're just as bad. Which is more akin to what Vash is, like, actual, like, or actual Vash, I'm saying, haha, <laughs> I'm playing favorites. But that's, like, the Vash that I know from 98. Um, that's more akin to what his philosophy is of if I'm present and I'm watching this bad thing happening and I don't do anything and I just keep walking, 
then I'm just, I'm just as guilty or I'm also guilty. And that's fair. But we're talking about things that he is actively trying to stop Knives from doing and he still blames himself for Knives getting away with it. Despite him chasing him down from episode one. Okay, so something that bugs the shit out of me. Vash is wanted for all of these plant robberies. He knows it's his brother that's committing them. He says so at the beginning of the show. It feels like up until the Genora Rock incident, he had just been kicking back and ignoring it. And he even freaks out when he realizes that they have a dead plant and oh, Knives is going to show up. It like literally terrifies him. And I'm just here like, well, wait, why? Like if he has all this guilt and he wants to confront Knives and he wants to hold Knives accountable and, you know, redeem himself. Why has he not confronted Knives? He knows Knives is in July. He says so. Oh, that's right. But he doesn't go until the Genora Rock incident. It does. Okay, yeah. I'm officially... um, Like, this show has fucked up its entire plotting. Yeah, this show has officially confused me on what who Vash is and his motivations and what he wants. Because, like, I had it in my head that, like, oh, yeah, he had been searching... For knives from episode one, he was in the. And it's like, no, no, you're right. He wasn't. He was just. He was avoiding him, if anything. He was just being a drifter, like Vash's stampede normally is, because Vash, in the manga and in the anime, really did not know where knives was, nor did he know what knives was up to. Here, knives is actively causing chaos, and he knows it's his brother doing it. And he knows where his brother is, but he isn't going to his brother until after the Genora Rock incident. Yeah, definitely, definitely confused. Like, I mean, I mean, that isn't like not me being confused, but Vash's character is confused. The writers are confused of what the fuck story they're writing. Yeah, it's 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 mixed up. And, you know, it I'm going to say our freaking strap syndrome. What is it called from the like the Pee Wee's house or whatever the secret word or something? Yeah, yeah. First draft syndrome is our secret word of oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's it's first draft syndrome and collaborative writing with a first draft syndrome, which is where yeah. it gets really mixed up, and that's where a lot of problems, especially between episodes, like. The one perfect episode we had. When I say perfect, quote unquote, I just mean perfect score. I have to add that disclaimer because I know somebody's going to come in and be like, oh, but nothing's perfect. I know, I know. Shh. <laughs> I was talking about the structure earlier. You were basically on board with me about how, yeah, no, it feels like there isn't like establishing shots. There's not like lead-ins to scenes. It's just kind of hard cuts where in a location a scene is happening. And it's really disjointing and it's really disorienting going through the episode. And I'm glad you had the same experience because Vash gets shot and just limps away. And the cops let him. They made this big deal about Vash or Vash is stampede. Let's fucking get him. And then one of the cops shoots him and then they just let him limp away. Like, so what? You're a cop. Do you lose some points because Vash is white? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Wolf was there. Anyways, uh, <laughs> shit, that was bad. Um, the thing is, is that like you could possibly make try to make an argument of like, oh, it's because 
they weren't supposed to shoot him. They weren't going to. The commanding officer didn't give that order, and so they were letting him go. But, but that it's guy's like, a fucking unhinged lunatic. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to get at. You can't even, like, you could try to make that argument if we didn't already know that this particular commanding officer doesn't give a shit about the rules and absolutely would just fuck him up. That guy literally almost flattened an entire town just to kill Vash the Stampede needlessly. Okay, so I'm also kind of confused that the July police are looking for Vash to Stampede when Millions Knives is the one stealing all the plants and he's apparently hiding in July. So, okay, is Count Revenant, the scientist, is he the one in charge of July? Because if so, they haven't established that. That is, ooh, that's a good point. Oh, man. Because I'm trying to figure out, like, oh, did the scientist guy, I think his name's actual name was, like, Bill Conrad, and he clearly has some of yeah. importance in this. In the manga, he did have his own town, his own city, and they basically recreate a scene from the manga, except here, um, you know, Conrad in this version is far more, like... In this version, Conrad is far more guilt-ridden for what he did to the plants and wants to atone and is now, like, Knives' loyal servant, which really wasn't the case in the manga. And I'm really curious. It's like, did he start the rumors that it was Vasta Stampede causing these robberies? Because we have a radio report saying that July denies any plant theft allegations. Yeah, I was going to say, there's that, like, line... Of the like, they connected it to July, and the July government says, uh, "Nope, we got nothing to do with this." Or I do think the biggest example of feeling disjointed because of like a lack of transitional scenes and ex- establishing shots is the suddenly we're in the past and having a flashback to Millions Knives and the Doctor and him saying, "Oh, I atoned for everything." Like that, that was really jarring to me. That was like, wait, wait, oh, okay, okay, it's Millions Night, oh, he's a kid, oh, okay, this, okay, I see what's going on, and then it was over. And I was like, what? <laughs> the way this show handles flashbacks sometimes, basically if it's anything other than the Levio and Wolfwood flashback episode, the way it just jumps from flashback to present day is jarring and weird as shit. Your hubris in your character design abilities has like gotten to y'all. Y'all flown too close to the sun. I, I need a minute to figure out that this is the younger version of a character. You can't just throw them in front of me and expect me to instantly get it. Also talking about like, you know, the weird kind of structure and stuff. We cut to Wolfwood and Vash in the sewer. Obviously, this is where they ended up after they shuffled away from the police at a slow pace. And that leads to a scene of Vash taking his clothes off to deal with his wound. And this is the first time we see that Vash is all scarred up. This scene sucks. (laughs) This scene fucking sucks. Because this show has such a bad fucking habit of just taking a thing from the manga or the anime that was like a reveal and just dumping it out there. And you would think something like the state of Vash's body, the guy who, and I guess maybe it's not as big of a deal because this Vash isn't as fun and jovial or fun and jovial at all. Him being all scarred up is supposed to be Mm -hmm. shocking. Like, his body is supposed to be, like, 
shocking to see. That's supposed to be the moment where you realize that he's not just all talk or he's just he's not just naive to how the world is going to try to kill him for not wanting to hurt others. Like, he definitely knows and he's still, you know. And again, the way this scene is handled here is we're in a dark sewer. We basically, like, just kind of see his back and a little bit of his chest in the darkness. We can see that he's got, like, things on him but it's really kind it's really fucking hard to see what's actually up with his body like you can kind of see some stitching and stuff but how scarred is he how fucked up is he you don't get a sense of that at all and it's to wolfoid another guy who has been through hell who has been shot the fuck up who isn't phased by seeing that the whole thing like in the manga and in the original anime is they walk in on Vash where he's like shirtless and you see in full detail all of his scars, the metal plating that's holding like his skin together, everything that he has been through, just chunks of his flesh torn out. It's supposed to be shocking to the girls. But also, they sit down with them, and they're like, this is the price you've paid. And we get to have, like, a genuinely fucking emotional moment where he opens up to them. And they open up back saying, like, it's okay, there's nothing wrong with this. Like, there's nothing wrong with you for looking like this. And that you're a great person and blah blah. Like, you know, they guess Vash up. And... It's a genuinely sweet moment in both versions. And here, it's just Wolfwood looking down and go, Bro, you got fucked up. <laughs> I hate it. And this happens This happens a lot with adaptations in general. They get that a specific, like in this case, a scene was emotional and was important and integral to the story. But they don't fully understand why and how. And so when they try to do it again, they just surface level. Oh, here's Vash. He's got his scars. Now the audience knows he has his scars. And it's like, it's more than that. It's about how he reacted to the girls seeing it. How he felt about the scars in general, you know, and everything else that goes under it. And we didn't get that with Wolfwood just being like, damn, bro. You too? Like... (laughs) Because you know Wolfwood would be fucked up like that too if it weren't for the medicine, and he knows yeah, that. Yeah, and this episode really feels like it's just kind of going through the motions. Like, it has, like, the plot beats it needs to hit. It feels lacking in a lot of the emotional weight that the original had, is what it comes down to. And that's, like, throughout the whole episode and of stuff. You know, the scientist, Conrad, he needs to have all of his exposition about creating Wolfwood and all of his other failed experiments, which... Honestly, okay, that shit doesn't even fucking make sense. Oh, I was trying to, like, make them more adaptable, blah, 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 blah. Also, I gave them massive fucking gun arms. What the fuck is E.G. the mind supposed to be? Like, how the hell is his hamster wheel of death supposed (laughs) to help him survive on this planet? Why did you give a serial killer your superhuman fucking experiments. Yeah, like, Wolfwoods makes sense because Wolfwood and Luvio both is because it has to do with regenerating quickly without the need for, like, complicated medication, which is something that would be hard for them to get a hold of Yeah, uh, without plants. But you have, like, E.G. the mind, because, like, he even says, like, oh, well, like, these are people who are sick and dying or they're poverty-stricken. They would have died anyhow, which, okay, fine. Once again, 
E.G. the Mine was a well-known fucking serial killer. Bro, your goddamn stories don't line up. <laughs> and then you have what he did yeah. to Rolo, or Monev the Gale, and it's just like, you gave him these giant fucking wind turbine arms, and you gave them all these crazy fucking nicknames, and you're only gonna tell me, after all of that, that you weren't creating super soldier assassins to fight with Knives Army, you created people, the tr humans, who could survive on No Man's Land. That was your actual intention. Bullshit. There's elements to those uh, other characters where I can go, yeah, uh, I can see how, all right, well, the that's the goal, but he's not there yet. And so, like, I know with the Mona at the Gale situation, the idea of, like, him just the way he regenerated and his brain fried like those are negative side effects that i can see happening with it still being that goal in mind of you know the regeneration and all that right but again the wind turbines and everything about eg the mine doesn't i don't see how what he was trying to do oops i messed up now he has like a hamster wheel yeah uh huh like, and this is one of those episodes, like, there's so much exposition that we have to, like, fucking go through. Okay, so you couldn't make humanity more like plants, so now you're creating plants in tubes that are human-esque, but you're still not converting humans, so basically humans still have to fucking die on this planet. So, like, what the fuck is any, like, the point of this? Like, you've, you've, you've accomplished nothing, you stupid fuck. My understanding is that he's trying to find a compromise of... What if I can make it to where humanity doesn't need plants at all so you can free the plants without killing humanity and wiping out humanity? You know, that's my understanding of that's the motivation of all the experiments. And yet, that creating a new species doesn't save humanity. The show is very confused. And I don't mean it is confusing, I mean... The people making it are confused about the show that they are making. Exactly. I did want to bring up the stuff about, like, Roberto um, and me being excited about him freaking dying. Yeah, no, we definitely have to talk about Roberto's death because that also kind of falls into this... Wait, that didn't fucking make sense. But go ahead. So, say, your, say your piece first. I don't know. I just recently got more focused on talking about, like, tragedies and stuff. Like, I had not too long ago... Uh, even freaking put on my social media, somebody argue with me about, like, tragedies and how they're misunderstood because I am in a mood TM and I love tragedy and will defend it till my deathbed. Uh, especially, like, Romeo and Juliet is my big one that I defend because people treat it like a romance and it's not. It's a tragedy, right? I love tragedy and I love major character death when it's, like... I hate this phrase. I caught myself. I was about to say when it's done right. But it's the idea of like when it's done for a greater purpose. The example of with Romeo and Juliet, it's a cautionary tale about how bigotry can lead to situations that should not have exploded the way they did. Exploding the way that, you know, like Romeo and Juliet would have just been two dumb teenagers in love, quote unquote. And then they ended up dead because of like the stupid bullshit of bigotry and stuff. Right. Um, and that's what's great about it. That tragedy, it has a point. They don't just die because killing people is sad. It's There's a point to it. And so 
the idea of like the fact that we had brought up earlier in the podcast again i'm pretty sure yeah it was you who mentioned it as an idea of uh oh we're gonna kill roberto and that's gonna make meryl mature more to more like the meryl that we know from previous iterations and then we'll get millie there's the purpose to it you know and i eat that shit up even though i don't like roberto i still genuinely love that on its own as a genre as like everything right as a story element i love major character death that sh- that serves a greater purpose and so i was like yes we're gonna get the thing of roberto dies and meryl like her character changes because of it and also bonus i really don't like this character so yay um but i did want to like clear that up that yeah, it's fun to, like, really focus on how and harp on how much I really don't like him, which I don't, and I am glad he's gone, because now I don't have to deal with his, oh, life sucks, pass me a flask bullshit anymore, because I'm so sick of him taking up time with that. Oh, gosh. It is also the other side of, like, genuinely, I do think this is good for the story as a whole. You know, not just because I don't like the character, but also because I just really feel like this is something the character of Meryl needed to have happen. And I will, I'll, I'll, I'll pour one out. I'll take, you know, I'll pour one out for uh, him giving me a wonderful pun, at least in the English version, because that's the version we're watching now of um, Hundred Spoons. Spoons. I liked that. I got a really good, genuine laugh out of that. And I'll give him that. I'll pour one out for him for that one. Yeah, no, like that <laughs> line in the dub, like I've been waiting to like, I was going to put that in like, let me throw out some positives here. But since you already said it, that line in the dub, because it's not in the sub, I can just go ahead and confirm for the people watching, it isn't. I forgot what he says. He doesn't make a joke whatsoever. Like, oh, this guy, hundred spoons. Like I genuinely got a chuckle out of that. That was a really funny moment. And it's very on brand for him and that kind of cynical disrespectful kind of way not really paying attention to details i like that i liked that a lot (laughs) yeah no that was great okay so let me get on with roberto's death it happens because he gets a nail in his stomach we never see this happen we never see a reaction shot of him getting hit it's supposed to be this big shock to the audience but he goes from not having a nail in his stomach to having a nail in his stomach And it is so abrupt. Okay, I thought I was crazy and I just missed it. I thought I missed it too. (laughs) I went back and I watched that segment multiple times to see like, is there like a moment where he could have been shot by like a nail? And no, there isn't. There's a scene where he like falls over with Meryl and he's protecting her. But one, his back is facing away. So he would have been shot in the back. Two, the nail is pierced all the way through him. So, like, you, you, we see his back view plenty. Mm-hmm. Also, when him and Meryl go to escape, you can see him and Meryl in the background of the shot, and you can see his front, and there's nothing there. When he runs to the elevator, he's suddenly holding his stomach, and the camera angle's trying to be sneaky about it. They were trying to do a reveal, and they fucked it up. That could have been a good moment. Like, you could have had a shot... You know, maybe you telegraph it to the audience, but not to Meryl. But the way they do it, they try to hide it from the audience by just not having it happen. And then showing him with the nail in his fucking stomach for the shock factor. And instead of me going, oh, fuck, he got shot. I go, wait, when the fuck did he get shot? I watched that scene multiple times and there isn't a scene. Like I said, 
he is within full view of the camera before he runs to the elevator and he does not have the nail in him. It isn't until he runs up to the elevator he's suddenly holding his stomach. And at that point, Elendira had been focused on Vash and Wolfwood. Yeah, it made no fucking sense. I hate how they executed it. It was kind of a dishonest way of executing that scene because instead of having a big reveal, you had a reveal that made me go, wait, what? Yeah. I was watching that whole segment. When did that happen? Oh, this is bullshit. That's why. You just made me question, like, my own perception of reality. You didn't surprise me. You confused me. Did they gaslight you? So, yeah, I hated that. <laughs> I will say, for as much as I do not like Roberto, his death scene was fairly well handled. I did like his lines about, you know, well, you finally got me to quit drinking and smoking. And now I have to be conscious for my death. How dare? You know, I did like that. I did genuinely like that. Like, oh, I'm so sober for my own death. It's actually fairly well done. I I do genuinely, unironically enjoy that moment. Everything leading up to it was stupid because, like I said, there's no fucking explanation for, like, the nail in them. It, It did not work whatsoever. But the actual moment between Meryl... And Roberto was nice. I still don't like Roberto. I don't give a shit that he died. But Meryl gives a shit that he dies. And they sold me on that moment. I forgot to mention this when they first showed him using a Derringer. I was going to bring up like, oh, fuck. Well, that's where Meryl's going to get her Derringer from. And sure enough, she gets her Derringer from Roberto. And then he has that last... Like, you know, his last words are saying her name and she's all. <gasps> and it's it's predictable, but it's a good moment. Yeah. I am not going to shit on that moment. Yeah. Predictable is not are always bad. And like, it's kind of one of the yeah. things of like tropes are not bad simply for being tropes. Something being done before or knowing where it's going doesn't make it bad in and on its own. Right. So even if I myself was not emotional about losing Roberto, I believe that Meryl was. And I feel like that's more important to have that because we're watching a show with the characters. It's it's better it's best to have both, you know, where both your audience and the characters are invested. But the fact that I believed that Meryl was, I believe that I'm going to use an example here. So we've talked a lot about things being unearned, like an emotional beat comes out of nowhere, and it's like you didn't earn that. This was not properly established or set up. You're just dropping this on me and expecting me to have feelings. This emotional beat between Roberto and Meryl was fucking earned. Even though I don't like Roberto, that is irrelevant because this scene convinces me of the connection between Roberto and Meryl. It was an actual earned moment. And for people who are like, I don't get it. What do they mean? It's not earned. What the fuck does that mean? It's like, it means that there was not a sufficient setup for this emotional payoff. Here, and like I said, we're talking about a fucking character dying that we are glad to see dead. And we, though we did not feel the feelings it wanted us to feel... Consider it an emotionally earned 
moments. Yep, welcome to the world of being able to critique things and separate your subjective feelings from mo- certain moments, you know, of like, yeah, I, I wasn't emotional about it, but I still say it was well done, even if it didn't get me where they wanted me at as an audience member, it was still well done in its own right, and I can recognize that. So, uh, you want to score this bitch? Oh, fuck, do I, um, <laughs> crap. I haven't thought about it. Uh oh. <laughs> it was just so disjointed that like my idea of what to score it as has been like all over. Honestly, because of how disjointed it is, and like I know I've said like there's been moments in previous episodes uh, where even if I didn't like the episode, I can say I still enjoyed myself watching it. I still got hyped. I really didn't get emotionally invested and hyped about much of anything in this episode. It just was because of the fact that I was being jerked around and it felt very jarring. And I feel like I'm remembering seven episodes happening at once. So I'm going to have to give it like a lower score of honestly like two. I'm giving it a two because I just could not get emotionally invested in this episode. And there were previous episodes that I didn't like, but... I still, in the moment of watching it, was able to get hyped and enjoy it. And this time I just could really not because I was getting jerked around too much. Okay, that's fair. There's a lot of things I do not like about this episode. Obviously, everything involving Ellen Vera pisses me the fuck off to no end. Uh, as you said, this episode is very disjointed. Uh, the way it jumps from scene to scene to scene, cutting between our characters to people moving in locations, and, like, there doesn't feel like there's a flow. Certain scenes feel very rushed through, like the reveal of Vash's scars, the conflict with the cops literally just being the cops shoot him and then he limps off, really felt like someone wrote in the script, the cops shoot at Vash, and Vash and Wolf would escape. But then they didn't actually write, like, how. So then the animators just had him walk away with no explanation. That was terrible and dumb and stupid, and I hate it. Then there's the stuff with the Doctor, his whole plan, his whole explanation of why he was creating these super soldiers does not actually line up with the way he's been depicted. Uh, Vash, you know, we said a lot of our piece about Vash. There's just... There are parts I like. I like the stuff with Zazie the Beast at the beginning. Like, we didn't really talk about it, but it was basically a bleed over from the previous episode. What are humans going to offer me on this planet? You guys are fuck-ups. The plants I have a better option with. I'm on no one's fucking side. That whole stuff was great. The death scene of Roberto in his moment with Meryl. Genuinely good stuff. Everything else was just going through the motions and dropping exposition. And if there's one thing this show was really bad at is exposition. And this was a big exposition episode. And it was also a episode that needed to focus on storytelling in terms of like establishing the location and where our characters are moving within it. And it doesn't establish the space they're in whatsoever. We get the big sprawling city, we get a sewer, and now they're in Knives Hideout. They're just there. Don't worry about it. They took a warp pipe. Don't ask questions. All that on its face, I would say, is a two. But 
I'm really, really mad about Elendira. So it gets a point five. Fuck them. Fair. Absolutely fair. This is an adaptation. You're allowed to do that. <laughs> this is Elendira Erasure, and I will not fucking stand for it. So, now, a little announcement. Next episode will be the last episode for this season for us. We are going to do a big double feature finale, a big double episode. So, look forward to that. Will I be happy? Will I be a raging cunty bitch? Who knows? Flip a coin. Place your bets. You don't win anything, but you get some self-satisfaction if you're right.